Welcome to a new episode of Policy Implications Podcast, where policy meets research. I'm your host, Olga Zadorozhna from Kosminsky University, where I teach in the research in empirical economics. My guest today is Dimitrios Tsomokos, who is a professor of financial economics at Said Business School and a fellow in management at the University of Oxford. Dimitri's main areas of expertise include banking and regulation, systemic risk, and financial instability. And his research has had a significant impact on economic policy around the world as he co-developed the Goodhart somakos model of financial fragility and has worked with central banks in countries such as England, Bulgaria, Colombia, Greece, Korea, and Norway. Today, we will be discussing the financial stability of European banking system and whether it is ready for the next big crisis. So welcome, Dimitri, and thank you for agreeing to share your thoughts with us. So you have done a lot of research on financial stability. What do you think about the current pandemics and what threats it brings to the European financial system? Uh, thank you very much, Olga, for inviting me to your podcast. Uh, I'm grateful for the invitation and I'll try uh, to give you, you know, my view on uh, the crisis just by starting uh, with an old proverb that was given by a famous professor, uh, Rodger Dornbusch, in 1997, uh, after, in the aftermath of the Mexican crisis, whereby he claimed that the crisis uh, takes much longer time coming than you think, and then it happens much faster than you have thought. Therefore, it is very important uh, to react uh, with resolution, uh, with formal determination, quite fast and efficiently. This current crisis, basically, as we first saw, is a crisis that affects both the demand as well as the supply side of the economy. And therefore, policy should deal with the pandemic and uh, the health repercussions for the pandemic, the ICU units, and so on and so forth, the compensation of the various negative and adverse economic uh, repercussions of the pandemic, then we should, uh, we should try to boost effective demand, and more importantly, more importantly, the new uh, element that this pandemic brought, brought corporate debt. The corporate debt has increased substantially as compared to what was happening in the global financial crisis, whereby we had an increase of uh, the debt-to-GDP ratio. Here we have the corporate debt that slowly but surely will permeate the balance sheets of commercial banks and then credit extension, and that eventually will come back uh, to haunt the real sector of the economy. Hence, uh, for starters, uh, I need to mention that the monetary policy, uh, through uh, almost everything they had at the crisis, and that uh, applies and to the Federal Reserve Bank in the United States and the ECB of uh, the European uh, Union, at the Eurozone, and the Bank of England, and the Bank of Japan. However, uh, as John Maynard Keynes said, you cannot push a string anymore because we may be in danger of creating a liquidity trap. Hence, we have now the two other tools, the regulatory policy uh, that's available. And in fact, 
the supervisory and regulatory response has been quite substantial and to some extent uh, has been uh, quite effective. They will use various micro and macroprudential capital buffers uh, that in somewhere around 140 billion euros. Uh, so uh, uh, partially, partially uh, have been, uh, we have used instruments that do not qualify as tier one capital and uh, common equity tier, and we have allowed the banks uh, to operate below the liquidity coverage ratio. Uh, however, we have always to bear in mind that in the United Kingdom, for example, uh, after 1945, after the Second World War, all the way because of the debt situation till the 80s, it was in a state of secular stagnation. Hence, regulatory policy would assist with macroprudential and microprudential tools, the monetary policy. But most importantly, now we have to throw into the playground fiscal policy. And that's basically the idea of what uh, the European Commission has tried to introduce. Uh, and the important thing is uh, for this new EU uh, fund that has been uh, discussed so much should be disbursed as fast as possible, particularly to close the gap that exists between the countries of the North and the South that is widening and may potentially endanger the very viability of the Eurozone as well as the well-functioning uh, and the political integration of the European Union in general. So those instruments that are available to our policymakers that help mitigate the negative consequences of the crisis, are they effective? And will there be any differences between the instruments applied to the current crisis and the previous ones? The main distinction between the former crisis and this crisis is that monetary policy has exhausted its potential. Hence, what comes to fore is now fiscal policy and regulatory policy. In particular, as I said, the non-financial uh, 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 non corporate debt ratio has increased substantially, more so than the household debt ratio uh, and the private, sect, uh, the private sector ratio. We have, for example, uh, within uh, four months from December 19, uh, 2019 to March uh, uh, 2020, uh, in the United States, we have an increase from 45.8% to 48.6%. In the Euro area, we went from 608 to 62.5. And that, in a four-month uh, period, in a, in, a quarter, in a quarterly basis, that's quite substantial. And the same applies for the United Kingdom. Hence, resolution policies and the treatment of the NPAs and NPLs become of critical importance nowadays. And so what are those fiscal uh, measures, those fiscal instruments that can be now applied? They were mentioned by the European uh, Union policy. is the economic recovery plan of Europe, where you have basically uh, the SURE ESM pandemic crisis support, uh, which is a guarantee fund for workers and business, uh, and there are 540 billion in loans. Then we have the next generation EU, whereby it will basically sum up 
uh, between 2021 and 2024, 500 billion in grants and 250 million uh, billion in uh, loans, and that uh, is uh, a very important thing. And most importantly, is the multi-annual financial framework, which will be in the vicinity uh, over well over one uh, trillion and that will be between 21 and 27. The caveat in these fiscal measures is that the disbursement has to be unconditional, fast, and efficient. I don't think that the European economies, particularly the European economies of the South, that have been hit so tremendously and formidably during the global financial crisis and the Eurozone debt crisis, I do not believe that politically and economically and sociologically can sustain more uh, more stringent conditionality than they have always uh, already endured. Right, right. And uh, in your recent paper with Aneta Hrskevich and Talia Crick, you study bank resolution mechanisms. So under current circumstances of current pandemic, should we expect that more and more banks will be in need of those mechanisms, like, for example, bank sales or maybe the state uh, buying out the bank or, you know, doing some other forms of bailouts? Well, uh, as we argue, in uh, the recent uh, war with Haneta and Natalia Craig of the EBRD, uh, we state something that is very well understood now that the COVID-19 crisis, and uh, despite the drastic, uh, the drastic uh, policy response, has produced a multitude of companies that basically walking uh, on a tightrope. And in effect, they are in the twilight between the living and the dead. Hence, uh, we have now to reconsider uh, the already existing frameworks for bank resolution. And the bank bailout mechanism basically may be thought of as a dead tool due to the moral hazard incentives, as well as uh, high budgetary costs that many countries and many economies are not willing to sustain. So, in our work, basically uh, we have to try to tread carefully uh, along four dimensions. First, uh, redirecting banks' NPAs to the private investors might be difficult given the uncertainty and the evolution of uh, the pandemic that may precipitate to limited market liquidity and difficulties in asset valuation. The second pillar of our analysis is that the resolution of NPAs, especially when the losses are redirected to creditors and CEOs and so on and so forth, uh, generate further moral hazard issues with respect to incentives to conduct effective uh, resolution of uh, distressed debt. Third, the amount of support offered by the creditors uh, by redirecting the losses might not be uh, sufficient uh, as contrasted to a huge bailout plan as the one that was implemented during the last global financial crisis. Uh, last but not least, uh, it is very tricky uh, to ascertain that the available new resolution mechanism will have a material impact on systemic contagious effects of debt restructuring. Hence, 
uh, what we did uh, after we uh, collected a novel data set that consisting of 39 systemic uh, banking crises during uh, the last uh, more than 20 years from 1992 all the way to 2017 uh, and then we implemented and we compared and, uh, compare and contrasted very resolution mechanisms using uh, the Goodhart Tsomokos model of financial fragility to assess the efficiency and the effectiveness of the very resolution mechanism. And our results uh, were mixed in the sense that uh, we could not argue that one size fits all. So depending on the context, depending on the severity of the crisis and the bank performance criteria that we want to employ, then there were advantages and disadvantages of each resolution mechanism. In particular, in particular, in the event of a severe financial crisis, the creation of a bad bank, which is basically uh, our preferred uh, resolution mechanism, needs to be uh, accompanied with uh, substantial recapitalization. Only then uh, we notice an improvement in bank performance, as well as restoration of the health of the bank's uh, ailing balance sheets. We argue that pure restructuring without uh, recapitalization during a severe and adverse uh, economic scenario cannot restore the bank's health. In other words, uh, the financial performance, despite the, uh, the bad bank uh, restructuring mechanism, will lead to a weak financial performance. Nevertheless, if we have at an early stage of a crisis, then the mergers uh, that basically replenish uh, the lost equity of banks uh, offers better financial performance. So basically, uh, our argument, uh, our argument basically is that there are trade-offs of the various uh, resolution uh, mechanism because the lack of sufficient capital discourages banks for taking deep restructuring efforts and streamlining their operations, like declaring their actual losses and not rolling over uh, debts, and therefore maintaining in life zombie companies uh, in fear of negative market reactions. Uh, at the same time, the trade-off of a pure capitalization without any restructure does not help uh, either. However, the main, uh, if you will, message of our research besides the associated trade-offs is that there exists, uh, there is exists a negative impact or if you will, uh, that bailouts do not seem to address banks' idiosyncratic risk in any efficient and effective uh, way. However, we have, uh, we have to emphasize, and that's the power of the Goodhart-Somogos model, because it's a general equilibrium model that sees the feedback mechanism and the systemic first and second order effects. We have always to be careful in assessing not only how the idiosyncratic and the bank specific risk will be addressed with a particular resolution mechanism, but also whether a particular resolution mechanism contributes to the mitigation of the systemic risk. Because 
the interconnectedness of the banking sector makes these of utmost importance. And that's what basically distinguishes the banking sector than the real sector of the economy. Right, right. And so here in Poland, we have quite a difficult situation in the banking sector, I think, uh, because the central bank recently has decreased the interest rates quite significantly to historical minimum, in fact, which resulted in major revenue decrease of uh, those commercial banks. And most of them are, or a lot of them are systemic. And taking into account the experience of the European banks that have been having negative interest rates for quite some time now, what Polish banks can learn from them in order to adjust to the current situation? Or maybe the policymakers can offer some uh, instruments to, uh, to, to overcome this, this difficult situation for the commercial banks. Well, uh, I have to admit, uh, I'm not an expert on the Polish economy and the banking sector, but I can say in principle, uh, that quantitative easing, uh, the debate uh, of the zero lower bound in the European Union, or, or actually on both sides of the Atlantic, is with respect to the impact on the bank of stability. However, I believe if the main issue of the NPLs and NPAs more generally is addressed by restructuring, the lower interest rates, if we have ample liquidity and a well functioning of financial intermediation, can depending on the elasticity of credit extension, uh, may compensate the loss of profits with the increased and the more uh, efficient allocation of savings to investments via credit extension. Therefore, the key issue is liquidity, uh, treatment of uh, uh, non-performing assets, and, uh, and um, delegated monitoring, monitoring exercise, not to direct uh, credit to consumption investments, but rather to productive investments uh, in order to aid the ailing economies to recover and take a benign trajectory of economic growth. Right. And uh, in current situation, when the number of uh, coronavirus cases increases throughout Europe quite significantly and new measures are introduced, more restrictive measures are introduced by the states, what should we expect in the nearest future in terms of the stability of the financial system? What are your short-run and long-time uh, forecasts? Well, uh, I don't belong to this group of economists that uh, the group of economists that are involved in forecasting and if you will in financial fortune telling however uh, may i say the important thing is to use the three arms that are in the arsenal of the policy makers fiscal policy regulatory policy not so much monetary policy to be able to preempt and withstand the evolution of the pandemic evidently most of the future depends of how the evolution uh, of the pandemic uh, will shape our lives. And if you will, uh, the resolution of the pandemic is more of a health and a medical issue rather than an economic issue. So we all rest our hopes to the development of vaccines and more effective cures of the pandemic that may help us to restore the well-functioning of our economies. 
So you are optimistic about the financial stability in Europe, right? In the near future. In general, I'm optimistic both about the financial stability of Europe, of Europe itself. I hate at this point in time to feed and feed more pessimism, gloom and doom in our thinking. So right. let us be hopeful. Excellent. Thank you very much, Dimitri. It was a very interesting conversation. Thank you for being here and answering my questions. Thank you very much, Olga. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you.